0: Thank you, praise team. Wow, what a, what a way to lead us into worship. Thank you. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is worthy of praise. And Lord, it is our desire to adore you in everything that we do and say. And we pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would guide our hearts and our minds, our thoughts right now, that we would be open and responsive to the prompting of your Holy Spirit that we would hear from you, that we would respond to you, that you would receive praise and glory, and that we would be drawn closer to you, to the Son, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. My my name is Dave. I'm one of the ministers on staff here. And uh, Brian mentioned we're going to conclude our series here in the book of Job. Uh, Welcome to everybody out in the Activity Center. Uh, Since today is Family Worship Day, we also have our children with us, and we're glad to have you here as well. I would just remind you that in your bulletin there is a sermon outline page. Uh, On one side of it's for adults, and the other side is for children. Uh, You're free to choose which side you want to work from. All right? That's totally up to you. Uh, Andre Crouch wrote a song many years ago Entitled, Through It All, and and it begins with these words. I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions about tomorrow. There have been times I didn't know right from wrong. But in every situation, God gave me blessed consolation that my trials come to only make me strong. And then the chorus says, Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I have learned to depend on God's word. And I think that's a song that Job would have liked. Because when we think about what we have studied and learned from the book of Job, that really kind of encapsulates what I believe that Job came away with, all this experience, with that kind of understanding. Now, you'll notice in the sermon page that there are two words, theodicy and theophany. And just for those of you who may wonder, those are not twin brothers from down at the Cajun Bayou country, Theo and Theo in the same family, that's not what they are. But it is important for us to understand that while neither of those words are used in the book of Job they both are addressed a lot especially the first part the first word which is theodicy is discussed a lot because theodicy as you see is the discussion is the justice of God in light of human suffering that that is a picture of the Substance of the book of Job. The, the majority of the chapters address that. Uh, Job and his friends. His friends tried to define Job's suffering in terms of his apparent sin, and Job tried to defend himself by his apparent innocence. And there's no question, though, that suffering does exist. That that's not a question. All we have to do is look around us. Uh, recent studies reveal that one in six Americans are dealing with a chronic health issue, one in six. 10 million people a year experience serious mental health episodes and issues. One in five people in America live with some type of disability. And those statistics apply just to America. When you take into consideration uh, the war zones and the, the totalitarian government regimes that, that persecute their own citizens. The scale of suffering is incomprehensible. The fact that suffering exists cannot be denied. And and theodicy is simply saying we want to look at the we want to look at that suffering in in the in the light of of whether or not this God can be depended on in the midst of all of that suffering. Theodicy discusses uh, how we can explain that. Theophany, the other word, focuses on God's appearing. What happens when God shows up? Now, there's not as much of that in the book of Job, but it is there. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that a little bit later. Now, last week, Brian used this sentence to promote my sermon for today. And the sentence that he used was this one. Suffering can take us to surprising, beautiful, and otherwise unreachable delights. And I'm sitting in the back, and he's, using, he's making that statement. And he even goes as far as to say, and Dave will explain this next week. The thing that I was thinking when you were saying that, Brian, was, you know that sentence ought to be on some cheesy plaque at Kirkland's or something. Now, don't get me wrong. We shop Kirkland's. We like Kirkland's. We have plaques from Kirkland's. Don't, don't be angry. But that sentence, if you only take it in that context, makes you sound like you've never had any experience with suffering. The only way we're going to understand that sentence is if we learn some truths today about suffering, and that's what I want us to do. And so you'll notice in your notes, you've got three blanks to fill in. They'll be pretty simple. Our suffering, first of all, tests us. Take a look back to Job chapter 1, verse 12. Remember when we started and the way that the message of Job begins? God is having this conversation with Satan. Satan. And Satan comes into God's presence, and God says, hey, where have you been? I, I'm, I'm, that blows my mind, like he didn't already know. Where have you been? Oh, I've just been roaming to and fro. Yeah, I know you have. And, but he, then he says, but did you notice, while you were down there roaming, my man Job? And the Lord said, and, and Satan said, big deal. I mean, you've taken so good, such good care of that guy. No wonder he loves you. Let a little problem fall into his life, and then we'll see. And then in, chapter, in verse 12, it says, The Lord said to Satan, Very well, Everything he has is in your hands, but on him, on the man himself, do not lay a finger. And then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, having received permission from God, where do you think Satan was going to go? Mm, right back to Job. He was headed back that when the testing comes, though here's what's important to understand, that when our testing comes, it only comes within the parameters that God defines. Now, in the midst of my suffering, I may be saying, God, you've sure got a lot of wide parameter here on the suffering you're allowing to take place, but I need to remember that God has said, don't worry, Dave, I've got this. I've got this in my parameters, and I'm in charge. And we need to remember that. God himself establishes the parameters by which we encounter suffering. And while, and Brian pointed out, the why question is never answered throughout the book of Job. But what we do see is God's purpose in our suffering. James said it this way. In James chapter 1, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. There was a time in my life when I just wanted to get my little exacto knife and cut that verse out of the Bible. Anybody else been there? I don't want to read that verse one more time. How about this next one? From Paul's writing to the Corinthians. Chapter 10, verse 13, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Oh, great. I feel better already. I'm not the only one who's ever had this problem. You know, somebody telling me, well, you know, Dave, a lot of people have had that same problem. You know what? That, that didn't bring me much comfort right at that time. When the doc said, hey, Dave, you're having a heart attack, but a lot of people do, I didn't feel any better. Because you know that the testing of and God is faithful, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. God establishes the parameter in which my suffering occurs. Our suffering comes only by the permission of God and for God's ultimate purpose, which we may never fully understand. And and that has to be okay. That's part of the parameter. We have to understand that. So the first thing we understand is that our suffering is a test. The second truth we learn about our suffering is that it does teach us. Now let's go back to Job chapter 40. In Job chapter 40, verses 6 and 7, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm, Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Joys always love it on the days when you were supposed to have had reading assignments accomplished, and you come in, and the professor begins to ask you questions that are specifically, that are going to identify whether you had done the reading that you were supposed to have done for that day. God says, Brace yourself like a man, and I'm going to ask you some questions. Oh, dear. I... I, I I think that this is, is very important to understand that in my Kaimishi Greek text, you know the one I'm talking about that, that little extra one, that in the Kaimishi Greek text there's a footnote there, that says this verse may be translated as "suck it up, Buttercup." <laughs> it's in the Kaimishi Greek. You know, unless people think i you know that I'm using using a bad phrase there. I I thought, you know, I've heard that phrase a lot and my research says that the first time that it was recorded, it was by a marine captain in World War I, 1918, a marine captain who had been advised by a French commander that they needed to retreat, to which the marine replied, retreat, and then an expletive, we just got here, suck it up, buttercup. And I thought, okay, I like that context. Sometimes in the midst of our suffering, I really do need God to say to me, Dave, just suck it up, buttercup, and we need to hear it that this is God saying, let me teach you. I'm going to ask you some questions, and in the process of asking you these questions, you will learn something. So after all the discussions and protests by Job and his friends, God is saying, Now listen, I will teach you. And unfortunately, suffering can be most effective, be a most effective teacher, but only if we listen to what those experiences are trying to teach us. In Psalm 103, we read: Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And I would just suggest that you may want to jot that down. You may want to turn to Psalm 103 in your Bible. And if you don't have that, forget not all his benefits underlined, go ahead, do that. Because, or maybe draw a box around it. Because in the midst of my suffering, it is important that I not forget all of his benefits. And then the psalmist goes on and says, here's some of the benefits. Who forgives us, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, Crowns you with love and compassion, satisfies your desire with good things, so that your youth is renewed like eagles. Part of the learning process in our suffering is recognizing God's benefits even while we're suffering. From the first Corinthians passage you read earlier that, that God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can endure with His help. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, we're also reminded that we have this treasure. Of in jars of clay to show us that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. I'm not saying that Job teaches me I need to be self-reliant. I need to be totally dependent upon God. I'm just a jar of clay. I'm just a cracked pot. I don't have the strength in myself. It all comes from God. The surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, Paul says, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. You see, one of the benefits we experience in our suffering is that God has designed his church to be a place where you don't have to suffer alone. In your bulletins, an insert about our Stephen ministry, and I would call your attention to that. But in it, it includes a beautiful testimony of how a Stephen minister walked alongside uh, someone who was going through a difficult period of life. And you need to understand this, that when you are hard-pressed, perplexed, feeling despair or abandoned, we have people, we have Stephen ministers who have been well-trained To walk alongside with you. That's by God's design, not by our wisdom. Because God designed His church to be that place where we bear one another's burdens, where we care for one another, and we learn from that experience. Our suffering can teach us all about God's all surpassing power. Later in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul describes. How he learned that God's grace is sufficient in all things. And Paul says there that when he is weak, he's actually at his strongest through the strength that God provides. And that's a lesson we can't learn until we recognize our own weaknesses. And oftentimes, suffering is the beautiful lesson in which we learn how strong. God can be and the ways in which God can demonstrate his strength in our life so let me ask you what is it that God is trying to show you through the difficulties you're going through right now because I believe what we have learned that he is that he wants to teach you he wants you to brace yourself he wants you to listen Now, when Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord, he responded by saying, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I've seen the king of glory. That's theophany. When Jesus called his first disciples, he was by the Sea of Galilee and the carpenter told the fishermen, go fish. And they said, Lord, we've we've been out all night. This is our job. We know what we're doing. We've been out all night and we caught nothing. I wonder about the wisdom of saying, don't tell me how to do my job. I caught nothing. Oh, I thought your job was to catch fish. I'm sorry. And then he says, put out. And then they said, okay, as your command, we will do that. And then what happened? Then they caught this great catch of fish. And almost the nets were starting to break. And here's the, here's the part of that story that, that I think is significant. It was at that point that the Apostle Peter, the big fisherman, fell to his knees and he said, Depart from me, Lord, for I, I am a sinful man. There's a reality that comes to us in the midst of our suffering when we realize how weak we are, when we realize that I am totally dependent upon God alone and I don't deserve to be in his presence when he shows up, but he shows up anyway. Here's the third truth. Our suffering is transformative. We learn from our suffering and it transforms us. Skip over to chapter 42 in Job. Job makes four statements here. His first statement that he makes, Job chapter 42, his first statement is, I know you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. That's a great statement. Second statement Job makes, I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. (laughs) You ever find yourself in that position? God, I'm sorry. I was just running my mouth. I had no idea what I was saying. Job said, I, 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 I thought I knew, but I, I didn't. Then verse three, or, or the third statement. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. That's theophany. That's God showing up. The transforming power of God's presence in the midst of our suffering circumstance. When God shows up. And there have been times in your life when God has shown up and you've just been overwhelmed by the way God showed up. God shows up. And as he shows up, we're like, Wow. God, you're you're at work. And all those times when we have said, Where's God anyway? And God shows up, we're like, oh, 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 God, you're here. And then his fourth statement was I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Here's here's the summary. Job recognizes that God is absolutely sovereign. He acknowledges that God's wisdom makes his own wisdom look, look like ignorance. And he confesses that he's guilty of questioning the ways of God. This is where, how Job begins this transformation process that God wants to accomplish. For Job, this time of confession and repentance was indeed a, a transformative time. It was a transformative experience. Suffering can be the sieve that strains out all of our prideful rebellion against God. And when we repent, it opens us to seeing God from God's vantage point. It opens us to see the possibilities of what God wants to accomplish in us and through us. It lets us see God in a perspective that is a cleansed viewpoint as we go through suffering. Earlier I read from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verses 7 and 9, but... Let's let's take a look, 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 10. This is the transformative part. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. That's a different way of looking at life, isn't it? We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that, and you know I love those words, so that, So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. I carry around in my body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus can be revealed and seen in me. In the midst of your suffering, you have the opportunity to give a testimony to the life of Jesus as God is at work in you. And it transforms you and people see your suffering and they see Jesus. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, said said to those who were there gathered on the hillside that day, let your good works be seen among men. Let your light so shine that people will see your good works and they will glorify God in heaven. Not that they're going to come around and pat you on the back because, oh, you did such a great job. They saw your work and immediately they were drawn to God. That's, That's what Paul is wanting to accomplish here. He says, for who... For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. Just a real, real code there, mortal. It's not something that happens to me after I get to heaven, but while I'm here, while I'm in the midst of suffering, while I'm going through life, Jesus wants to be seen in me now. He wants to be seen in you now. All in the midst of it. Now, let me show you one more thing that that I've learned through this study. And and I want you to look for the phrase, my servant Job. That's the phrase we're going to look for. We're going to go back to Job chapter 1, verse 8. It's where we first encounter it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That's what started this whole mess, right? Have you considered my servant Job? And then look at how he describes him. There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Job is a great guy. God says, have you considered my servant Job? now, let's go back to the back. Let's go to the end of the book. Job chapter 42, verse 7. And after the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the, the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as, say it with me, my servant Job asks. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice the burnt offerings for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept, I love this, I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You've not spoken to me what is right as my servant Job has. Now, here's here's what I realized is really significant. Four times God uses this phrase, my servant Job. This is the same Job that a little bit earlier God had said, brace yourself, buddy. Get ready to suck it up, buttercup. And God still considered him my servant. He wasn't perfect. He didn't do everything right. And God still said, he's my servant, and I will use him. And to the three friends, God says, now listen, I want you to understand something. You need to sacrifice, and part of your humbling yourself and repenting is going to be you're going to bring your sacrifices And offer them to Job. And Job is going to offer them to me on your behalf. That's powerful. This is my servant Job. And here's the significance thing. Regardless of the times you've disappointed God. Regardless of the times you've not responded as God would have liked. God still sees you. As his servant, he still has plans for you. He still has a desire to use you to bring others to repentance. He still plans to bless you. But it all begins when we humble ourselves in the presence of God. Now, here's another thing that God does in Job's heart. It leads Job to forgiveness, to offer forgiveness Job's three friends are instructed to bring their sacrifices to Job who offers them on their behalf and then it is it is then that Job prays for them and God accepts Job's prayer but you'll notice that when Job prays for those who persecuted him it is not just the three friends who are humbled by this experience Job is also. That person that has just irritated the absolute life out of you or that person who has deeply wounded and offended you, that person to whom you have no forgiveness, toward whom you have no forgiveness. God can use your suffering experience to bring you to a point of offering forgiveness to them. What did Jesus say on the cross? Father, forgive them. What did Stephen say as they were stoning him to death? Lord, don't hold this against them. Sometimes in the midst of our suffering, we have the opportunity to be able to experience to express and demonstrate forgiveness to others. And it's important to understand also that at this point, Job is still in his own suffering. He has not been healed. It's after Job forgives that God begins the restoration process in Job's health and in his family and in his wealth. Don't miss the timing on this. In our rush to restoration We too often overlook the requirement of repentance and the granting of forgiveness as a part of our restoration process. Andre Crouch, in that song that I quoted earlier, he closes the song this way. He says, I thank God for the mountains and I thank him for the valleys. I thank him for the storms he brought me through. For if I'd never had a problem, I wouldn't know God could solve it. I'd never know what faith in God could do. Are you willing today to acknowledge that God's wisdom really makes yours look like ignorance? Are you ready to recognize that God is absolutely sovereign in your life? And are you willing to confess any resentment, any bitterness that you harbor toward God or toward others because of the suffering that you've experienced? Are you ready to make suffering the beautiful, delightful, experience that God designed it to be. Father, I pray that today your Holy Spirit would indeed prompt our hearts and our minds to be able to think along these lines today. That for the person who came here this morning with suffering that made them question you, made them doubt you, suffering that made them bitter toward you, that today they would, they would recognize that, that you have already established the parameters in which those tough life experiences take place. You've already set the parameters. They won't go any farther than you allow them to go. and that through them you teach us lessons we need to learn from you. And that as a result of them, there can be this transformative experience of you at work in us, in us, and through us into the lives of people around us. And Father, I pray that for anyone who is on that journey that needs help today, Maybe they need a Stephen minister to come alongside. Maybe they just need someone to pray with them and and help them understand more about the truth of your word. Someone to prompt them to lead them to that point where they say, "I, I really do believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and I want him to be my Lord and my master, my savior, forgiving my sins, washing away my sins, to be buried with him in baptism." Lord, you know, you know the needs of our hearts. And those needs are as many as the numbers of people here. And you're intimately acquainted with each. So, Father, may we be open before you now. In Jesus' name.